0: Welcome in to episode 37 of the Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside
1: Jeff Colas.
0: And I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I uh, appreciate your patience with us we're in the abbreviated episode last week as we were both um, traveling hundreds of miles across the uh, Midwest and the Southeast to get to family for uh, for Thanksgiving. Jeff, I I, um, I expect that your, your time over uh over thanksgiving was was a good one
1: it was good we were uh it was a welcome respite away from uh um away from memphis spent some time in northeast ohio and uh a little bit and i was hoping i would get to see some feel some cold weather and it was like 60 degrees like three days so but It was
0: good. It's kind of funny, you know, I think we, because I drove, I think we sort of like crossed paths, you know, I drove, I drove through Memphis to get to Arkansas and you drove through Kentucky to get to Northeast Ohio. Um, But uh, yeah, we're glad to hear it. How about you? You had a good time? Yeah, no, it was fun. We got out to the, you know, got out to the country and um, hung out with, with, with the family that I don't get to see uh, that side of the family that often. So it's always nice to spend some time with them and um you know see the see the kids that i recall as seven-year-olds now at like 24 (laughs) you know it's like when did you become an adult because i remember you you know as a kid but anyway (laughs) that's that's a statement on me more than them probably (laughs) um all right well uh we're gonna get to some music we talked about uh in the episode uh, three weeks ago, the Lawrence, Kansas episode that part of a uh, caveat for for doing that show was that I was that you're going to allow me to do a Lexington Kentucky show um, And so that's what this week is and uh, we're going to cover uh, four different shows that uh, that the band played in uh, the Bluegrass state in the, cent- in the uh, central Kentucky region. But first, Jeff, I have a new uh, segment For the podcast this week, we'll see if we can maintain it week in, week out, and that would be uh, to share with our uh, our listening audience some recommendation, uh, some pop culture recommendation. So whether it's a an album or a podcast or a TV show or a movie or a um, book that we would you know that we have experienced in the last week that we would uh, you know make some recommendation uh, to our listeners. Do you have anything this week for him?
1: Can it be old? Like, uh, can it be an old thing? I or does guess. does it have to be like new?
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing if I'm going to be able to maintain your <laughs> participation in this for more than a couple of weeks, we're probably going to have to go back to the old. I guess I would probably have to say it would need to be like new to you. You know, it would have to be yeah, something that exactly. you have discovered. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess I'm okay with that. Sure.
1: Okay. New to me, but old. Um, YouTube, if you get, kids have heard of it, is a really great source for not just videos of cats and such, but it's also a place where a lot of people dump um, live audio. So there's a ton of shows on YouTube hmm. that aren't necessarily films, but just you know live audio concerts. And since the Allman Brothers don't allow their stuff to be on the Live Music Archive, a lot of people have put their put the shows oh. on uh, on YouTube. Hmm. So it's pretty much everything that Dwayne Allman played on, you can find. But there's also some really random things that I had not heard um, ever. Um, and I, At one time, I think I had pretty much every, a tape of every show that existed between like 69 and '73, um, 72. So I listened to a 72 show, um, Jan- January 22nd, 1972, from Hollywood, Florida, the Sportatorium. So it's about... You know, a little less than three months after Dwayne passed away, the five-man band, it is pure fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is what some of the best playing that I think I've heard any of those five guys do, um, especially Dickey and a and, and way starting to see him step up. But then the other thing about the 72 shows that's really great is Barry Oakley is essentially playing lead bass. Uh, I mean, there, he's very fi- very high up in the mix and he had such a unique, unique way of playing anyway, but it's really prominent, really pronounced. And he's, you know, basically playing the dual leads with Dickie on a lot of the songs. So hmm. it's cool stuff. It's a short show, um, only because, but there's a mountain jam, there's a whipping post, there's a long, you don't love me. There's a, you know, I think there's a hot Lana, there's a Liz Reed. Um, it's a good show. So January 22nd, 1972 from Sportatorium
0: in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, yeah. My recommendation is a documentary movie that I stumbled upon uh, on Hulu called uh, Too Funny to Fail, the story of the Dana Carvey show.
1: Ah, yes. And, I've heard of
0: uh, this. I sort of, yeah, I sort of, you know, having watched it, or you know, av- after having watched the documentary, I recall vaguely... The Dana Carvey Show. It, it aired seven episodes in the spring of 1996. And um, it was uh, Robert Smigel, who was like the head writer and showrunner, if you're familiar with him. Uh, Louis C.K. was one of the writers. Um, the cast was beyond Dana Carvey. Um, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell, like both of their like really first break, you know, first TV exposure and um there and it was like basically ahead of like the whole story is that it was sort of ahead of it's time but totally uh unacceptable in it's place and time where it was but um there is some really funny stuff and uh I always like I always like Dana Carvey, and he's a big part of this and um I couldn't believe when I looked it up it's like he's like he's like over 60 years old now um and he looks great in the documentary, but um, I highly recommend that it was entertaining. Entertaining show. It was like an hour and a half, so um, check that out if you got Hulu. All right, well, um, we've got uh, we've got, like I said, four shows that we're going to cover this week. Uh, Panic played, um, I guess, six shows in Lexington. The last two were uh, in two thousand three, two thousand six we're not going to cover or 2007 not going to cover those we're going to cover the the hauser era ones um and so 94 95 and 96 at the red mile three straight years in the fall um they called it the fall ball and then uh, again in spring of 99 on the campus university of kentucky at memorial coliseum so um i was not at this first show i was at the other three uh this first show october 2nd 1994 um was the you know i guess this was maybe a month after i had started college at uk i was a wee lad of 17 years old (laughs) at this time and i when i came to kentucky you know so you know i guess this this part of the show is going to be you know harvey couch this is your life told autobiographically um but when I came to Kentucky, I, I didn't know anybody. I mean, I literally, I didn't have an, I just came. And so I, I had met folks, but, um, but a month in, I really, not much, you know, I mean, a couple of people that I had, like, had class with, but certainly not any people that were into like this kind of music yet. And so I knew that the show was happening. I'd seen it like flyers for it and stuff, but it was off campus. Um, I didn't have a car and I didn't have anybody to go with. And so, you know, A year or two after that, I I probably would have gone by myself. But, you know, I was was still sort of young and shy and and I just didn't didn't have it in me to uh, either walk like, you know, half an hour to the show or take a cab or something. And um, so I was not at the show, but it turned out to be a fantastic show. And um, it was one of the first tapes that I can remember having. I don't know if it was because it was local, you know, that it circulated, but it was a soundboard tape, and so it seemed like it was a pretty, you know, well-circulated show um, early on, but um, there's some there's some really cool stuff in this show. It, the very first uh, Roberta was played, the first Roberta with lyrics was played in this show, um, and which is kind of interesting that it was, um, I guess this was like right as the world series was canceled during the baseball strike in October of 94. Uh, and so that's where some of those lyrics about, um, about baseball, uh, apply in this, you know, and, but it's a cool, I, I almost chose that selection to play tonight. The, the driving, Roberta driving airplane without a jam That's sort of at the end of the show. But, um, I, I chose a different segment instead, but, uh, definitely check that one out because the rebirth of like the lyrics are like a little bit different and some of like the, the pacing is a little bit different. So, um, but I like it. It's good. So, um, I recommend it. I think we need to do an episode at some point where we just play like debuts of songs and talk about how thing how the songs have changed over the years. You okay with that?
1: I think that would be cool. Let's, let's, let's go on to the music.
0: All right. So we're going to pick things up here is in the second set. Um, there's a uh, West Virginia Ain't Life Grand opener and then um, and then we got a three song uh, segment here that comes after that
2: and plants breathing clear water when the bugs and birds rest on damp air I fall. Or oh, whales or water, parting
3: waves
2: lining softly on a shoreline of snow. White shoreline below. Then we swing on back to the jungle. Not a little. Water and the bugs and birds rest on damp my Some beer, some beer,
3: beer, beer.
2: a hot, high
1: Widespread Panic, October second, nineteen ninety four, from the Red Mile Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Sleepy Monkey, Stop Go, and Hatfield and Harvey. Although you mentioned you weren't at this show, I imagine you have some thoughts on it, and also some thoughts that lead us into our next selection too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I, I listen, I listen to this tape quite a bit, uh, you know, in college, and uh, I really just love this segment here. The Sleepy Monkey is so good. Um about halfway through it just gets really out there you know and i mean it's like a 10 or 11 minute sleepy monkey and um it doesn't feel like a 94 segment you know what i mean like it it feels like a more of a later uh, era of the band where they're getting really kind of out there and uh i can't remember what was what was the year that ted said we needed to spend more time in was it 94
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean I think we we kind of after the 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 section from the Lawrence show that we played yeah. uh, sort of re- renewed my interest in in the year, for certain.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost like you kind of just got to like pick the parts like the it's almost like all the Ain't Life Grand songs you kind of got to just like wipe off <laughs> <laughs> and then just play all the rest cuz the rest is really good. I mean the the problem is like the Ain't Life Grand songs are generally played pretty straightforward um but then a lot of the other stuff is really really out there and the sleepy monkey uh is definitely that and then um really dig the the bass jam out of monkey into stop go and um you know it's sort of all schools but i really i really like that that transition and um and this is a big big stop go again it's like 10 10 11 minutes and um I feel like, do you think, and maybe, it feels like Stop Go is one of those songs that, that there's like, is there a song that has a bigger gap between great versions and like average versions? You know, I mean like a song that is just, there are some songs that are like consistently pretty straightforward and then there's some songs that are like consistently really, really good. But it seems like Stop Go, it's like you can either get like a, five minute first set stop go or you get like a 12 minute second set stop go am i crazy thinking that
1: um no i don't think so i think i mean airplane is the one that sort of stands out but because but that song sort of evolved over time where they added the the takeoff i guess which you know those early set lists are takeoff jam but then eventually it just becomes part of the song
0: maybe i'm understating you know maybe it's always really good it just feels like sometimes that that it's almost not filler but you know it's just sort of a transitional song in a first set whereas it can really be almost a cornerstone uh sometimes in the first or second set
1: yeah i yeah i mean i it's one of my favorite songs so it doesn't bother me but I, i think you know there are a lot of songs that sort of always are welcome in the set list but yeah sometimes some versions are just better than others you Mm. know Holden is always a good one but sometimes there's some that are better yeah Um, you know I mean even songs like Fishwater when they when you slap them like the the fifth song into a first set it's Mm -hmm. sort of like you know it's eight minutes and it just is pretty rote
0: yeah I would Uh, say I think that's probably a good example of of one maybe like that like where it can really it can make a set and then sometimes not you know yeah uh, based on uh, I guess placement and, and playing. So um after stop go into Hatfield and it's a really it's a good um you know pretty straightforward but uh but a really nice hatfield. And so again back to um echoing Ted Rockwell's comments from several episodes ago but um enjoying revisiting uh, some of this 94 stuff. I think we'll have to go back to the to the 94 well more and more. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, yeah. tell
1: us about ninety-five, Harvey, since you were there. Sure,
0: yeah, and I guess what I what I hes- what I what I hadn't done was sort of set the scene a little bit, because um, these this these three shows 94, 95, 96, at the same place at the Red Mile, which is a um, a harness racing track, not a thoroughbred racing track. Um, you know where, and I guess it's a different breed of horse. Is it a quarter horse? Maybe I think my wife would kill me for not knowing, but um, it's a different breed of horse, and they. And the jockey doesn't ride on the horse; he rides in a little carriage that gets pulled behind the horse. And um, and generally, the Red Mile was more like the. There's there's a thoroughbred track in Lexington called Keeneland, which is more of a high end place. And the Red Mile was more like where, uh, you know, maybe your less savory characters were hanging out um, watching the watching the harness racing. But um, but the band played all these three shows at the same place, which is sort of, uh, I guess kind of in the paddock. So not in the, not inside the track, uh, not in the infield, but, um, there was a grandstand that looked out onto the track. And then if you're sitting in the grandstand, sort of off to the right, there's just a grassy area and they had a stage set up and, um, you know, really small. And I think every year it got a little bit bigger, but even at night in 96, I, I doubt it, I doubt there was more than, you know, 1,500 people there maybe. Um, so super, uh, super intimate and uh, and a cool outdoor space. And always liked I um, always liked those outdoor shows where it would start in daylight and, you know, the first set would all be in daylight and then sort of as the second set started and things started getting a little bit weird, the, the sun would go down and then the lights took hold. Um, I, have, I have vivid memories from, from both these shows of that kind of experience with the second set where things got weird uh and uh as it as the sun went down but um so anyway that being said uh, on to the next year 95 and uh, we played uh a segment from this show back in August the the first um the first three songs of the second set the uh the Holden Gilded Love Tractor opener of the second set and, um, so we played the first part of the second set and then tonight we're going to play the end of the second set. So, uh, after the Holden Gilded Love Tractor, you had a picking up the pieces, a Let's Get Down to Business, and then a Walkin' Tall Boy, um, and then we'll pick things up here as the band uh, wraps up the second set. September 17th, 1995, from the Red Mile Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky.
2: Where my eyes won't pretend, did you know you were close? I can smell your blood through a freshly painted door. Stand in your haste, la pour three more glasses, burger me, and you let the
1: All right, Red Panic, back at the Red Mile Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky, September 17th, 1995, right at the end of the second set, Mercy into Nobody's Fault But Mine into chilly water. And pretty strong versions of each of these songs, wouldn't you agree?
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, the Mercy, you know, similar to the Sleepy Monkey from 94, it's like it really starts to kind of get out there. I mean, Mercy often does, but this one seemed like especially kind of trippy. And, you know, JoJo had the has the organ going and um and Mikey's kind of whirling around with the guitar and um so this is a a great version and then um the jam into Nobody's Fault is really good and and I dig how it like it just kind of slows down and then Nobody's Fault just starts with the vocals you know it's not like it doesn't go into the nobody's fault theme and then start singing. It's just like, it kind of slows down and then all of a sudden they start singing nobody's fault. And it's like that really, and then, and then they drop into the song. I, I really like that approach. It was cool. Um, and then a great, a great buildup and uh, segue into Chile descent to, send, to, uh, to close out the second Same. set. Um, but yeah, again, this is a great show. You know, like I said, we, We visited it back in August uh, for one of the Hauser shows, and um, if you haven't listened to the whole thing, I highly recommend it. It's got the very first shape I'm in um, to start off the first set, which is um, not not particularly well played, but but interesting (laughs) nonetheless. Um, And uh, and there's a really good stop go in the first set of this show, Um, and and no drums, so we're sort of I don't this isn't the last. Show without a drums. Where it's it's starting to get pretty rare that you get a get a second set without a drums, and an all Bloodkin encore, which I, I don't know, makes you wonder like what the that there had to have been some sort of occasion for that, right? You don't just um, whether it was somebody's birthday or you know record release or something that made them uh, pair those two songs together.
1: Maybe Joan Osborne was a big Bloodkin fan.
0: Oh, Joan Osborne. But- um, yeah, and I mean, these three shows and at the Red Mile, all sort of like iconic panic openers. Um, in 94, you got the Freddie Jones Band. Uh, yeah. And then Joan Osborne, who did a big that big fall, 95 tour, opening up. And then 96 is uh, Leftover Salmon. So um, one of those is not like the other. But I mean, nothing against Joan Osborne. <laughs> um
1: no, I was to say, so this 96 show... How cold was it on October eighteenth that they couldn't have the show on October twentieth? Yeah, they couldn't have. The, they had to move the show to October twentieth.
0: Right? Yeah. It. Um. I guess it was cold. You know. I mean, obviously, um, weather in in Kentucky can change on a dime. I mean, uh, the like I mentioned, the Keeneland racetrack, uh, they only run three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall, and generally that's the nicest. Time of the year in Kentucky, but I can uh, remember a uh, an October meet day where it was like a blizzard, literally, um, in October. And um, my wife and I got married in October, and it was really cold. And I recall that. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it was so cold as much as like it may have been like kind of rainy, nasty, cold, and windy, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like in the 30s, but I think it was like 50 and rainy, and so I guess they felt like they had that open date um, are already built in. You know, and it's not that far from Knoxville to Lexington, so uh, um, they just went from, from Jackson on 1016 to Chattanooga on 1019, and then it and then shot up to Lexington for 1020. But the saddest story of that whole thing was, my good friend from New Orleans who, you know, would come visit Kentucky every once in a while and we would go to see shows and stuff, um, specifically traveled up to Lexington for that Red Mile show on the 18th uh, and had a flight back home on the 19th. And, um, you know, I, I think we he looked into changing flights and it was like, you know, a kajillion dollars. Plus he was in college so he couldn't miss three extra days or whatever. So yeah. So he made a whole trip up to Lexington to go to see panic show that never happened. Um, and then, you know, we, we went on the 20th and it was a great show. So that made him feel even worse (laughs) about things. But, um, yeah. So the next thing, uh, October 20th, 1996, uh, this is the third and final time that panic played it at the red mile. And, um, never got the story on why the uh they call it the fall ball and so it was like you know first annual second annual you know third annual fall ball at Red Mile and um uh, i don't know if you know the if it was a specific promoter that was making it happen and maybe he you know moved out of town or if ownership changed at the Red Mile and they weren't interested in in having those kinds of shows but I mean, I can recall, I saw, you know, Willie Nelson play at the Red Mile, I think in 99. So they were still doing, you know, um, pretty decent sized concerts at that at that venue um, after that. But it was sort of a bummer that, that Panic didn't, obviously, they probably couldn't have done it for much longer as far as size goes, you know, I think probably by 98, they may have been too big, but I would have thought they could have done it again in 97, but they didn't. So um but this is a really good show. Um, we're gonna play the encore from it. But um, this is a great tour, obviously Fall '96. But um, some of the highlights from the show, uh, you know, you have Diner as the second song, second song of the show. Um, they closed the first set with sort of an odd pairing of Love Tractor Rebirtha, and um, I always I felt like those were, like I mentioned back in '94, was the first Rebirtha with lyrics. They played it again in '95 and '96. In fact, they brought it back here in this '96 show after only two shows. Um, so it was almost like they, they did it. You know, they were mindful that they brought it back early to play it here, and uh, they kind of, kind of an odd. I don't know that it ever closed a set.
1: Sort of I mean, counterintuitive to yeah, do. Yeah, you would have Love thought a to Roberta.
0: Yeah, um, and Love Tractor. Uh, I think they played that every time they played the Red Mile. Um, you know, it was fitting being there. You know in the outdoors and, uh, with the, the tractors riding on the, you know, cleaning the the racetrack and stuff like that. So, um, that was kind of a fitting first set closer, but second set's really good too. The, uh, the pigeons, please drums, pigeons. Um, I can recall that that was sort of when the sun went down and, uh, and things got pretty cool with the lights and then another great mercy. Um, and, uh, and a nice rare down on the farm uh, before the postcard closer in the second set. So, um, but yeah, no, we'll pick it up after the second set with the encore. And uh, this is October twentieth, nineteen ninety six, at the Red Mile.
1: October 20th, 1996, um, again, from the Red Mile Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, the Encore, West Virginia, into Dream Song, and then uh, Can't Find My Way Home, and you're right, Harvey, this is a really great show, Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll probably get to it at some point in time, but... Uh, the mercy slow porch down on the farm from the end of the second set's really good. And I love a song like diner in the second slot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> especially, at, especially after an opener, like she caught the Katie, which is just sort of a, you know, it's the opener. It's mm-hmm. going to be four minutes and mm-hmm. then it's going to be done. And so it's sort of like, Hey, the, they came out, they started the show. It's like, Oh, it's getting serious. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, um, that was, that was cool. It's a great, uh, great placement for that, uh, for, for that song
0: yeah so um a nice mellow encore and um i'm not I'm not one to like brag on calling you know songs or anything like that, but like before the show, you know you always sit around and say oh you know this is this is what they're gonna play and and I would say this was probably before this is definitely before like seeing set lists necessarily like the day, like you, you, there were no stats, like you couldn't go back and say, "Well, okay, wh- you know what songs are are due to come back necessarily." But, um, but I definitely did call the encore for this show going into it. My my uh my dream encore for this show was "Postcard Can't Find My Way Home," and so not quite there, but pretty close with the postcard That's second set, second set closer, and then the "Can't Find My Way Home," and so. Um, I, I am one of like three people who totally lose their shit on the tape. When they start playing camp on my way home, you hear like two or three guys just like screaming. And one of them was me. So if you're, if you're wondering <laughs> for forever, forever, um, you know, emblazoned on that, on that recording.
1: Wow. I I can say that you can, you can't hear me on any recording. So I will, okay. that's, that's a, that's a, that's an honor. That's an honor. Yeah. Um, did you ever sit around... I used to do this, and maybe you did, but I used to sit around and make up dream set lists all the time. And uh, But I started doing it in class, I think probably my senior year of college, maybe it was a little bit before, and I kept this sheet of paper that was on the back of a, like a syllabus or something like that, and I just kept writing down, making up set lists, but I kept without repeating songs... Oh wow. Um, so you were basically yeah.
0: like a dream dream tour
1: kind of dream tour. Yeah. And it came up I think I I should I I in fact I know I still have it. Um somewhere. We'll dig it out for 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 the for the fans sometime. Maybe we could put uh, together,
0: you know, a, a Jeff Dream show or something based on this. And
1: it voice. was like she was like two sets, you uh-huh. know, every night followed the nine song, you know, first set and then, you know, the 10 10 song second set or whatever it was and no, nothing out of you button. know
0: you'd have like one or two bust outs each night maybe yeah nothing too crazy
1: yeah it wasn't like i was bringing back cryptical envelopment like, <laughs> you know, for, in, for fall 99 like right i mean i'm reasonable about it yeah. um like, but per, anyway
0: proving ground dark star proving ground or
1: something <laughs> <like>. <laughs> yeah definitely did not do that but yeah it was always just sort of this fun exercise to do and it always turned into this thing like how come the band's not as creative as me when i come up when they come up with <laughs> set lists and then you know again like we've talked about before in the herring era it's like i'm pretty sure they probably did do some of the things that i was you know dreaming about it during the hauser era yeah. like, anyways
0: no i don't know that i ever did really did that like i certainly would would do up set lists like for shows before you know like before this show i probably wrote up what i thought the set list would be um but yeah, not not just like out of the you know out of thin air, just coming up with shows. But the one thing that I always did, sort of like I always came back to, and I would work on it for a little while, and then I put it down. And, um, was the idea of the, like of them doing like a last waltz show, um, you know? And so this would have been obviously before Hauser died. But you know, let's say at the end of two thousand one, they decide that they're going to hang it up. Um, that they play like you know two or three shows at phillips arena and bring in every guest that they've ever played with and like you know every influence and um and just how you would like parse out all the different songs you know like who would get to play on low spark and who would play you know uh, what songs warren would play on and what songs uh you know their trucks would play on or whatever and so um that was something that i that I always sort of went back to. I don't think I ever came up with like a definitive, um, you know, this is the, this is the last waltz set for the panic, but uh, that was something I worked on. So
1: there you go. I think all of this is within reason. We can, uh, we can, we can come up with all of this. We have the technology now.
0: All right. So, um, so that's it for the Red Mile from 94, 95, and 96. And then uh, it was another uh, two and a half years before uh, they returned to the Bluegrass. And um, in some ways, it was kind of full circle, Jeff, because when they they started that that very first time, uh, well, not the first time in Lexington, but the first time a show that we're playing <coughs> here uh, in, in October of 94 was the beginning of my freshman year in college. And this show at Memorial Coliseum was literally like a week before I graduated at Memorial Coliseum on campus at the University of Kentucky. So um, I didn't actually get to see the 94 show, but I did see this panic, this 99 show, uh, at the very same venue that I would that I would walk across the stage at like a week and a half afterwards.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and especially a place like that with, with so much... So much rich basketball history. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, this would be uh, if they had just instead of building Rupp Arena in the late seventies, if they had just expanded this and improved it, uh, it would be you know Fog Allen or or Cameron Indoor uh, Memorial Coliseum was when was where you know all the great you know Adolph Rupp teams. Uh, played and uh and then in the seventies they moved to the big um nondescript <laughs> arena in downtown.
1: <laughs> what uh how many people does the Coliseum hold?
0: Um for basketball, I mean the the so the women still play there and uh the volleyball team plays there and uh, I would say probably eight eight to ten thousand maybe. So I mean when it was built it was you know it was a it was a pretty badass you know, on-campus Coliseum, see what the internet machine says. 10,000-seat um, uh, arena, uh, it opened in 1950, December 1st of 1950. So uh, so the Cats won in 48-49, but then they have moved over from, across the street, basically, from Alumni Gymnasium uh, to Memorial Coliseum. Um, but yeah, I mean, 10,000-seat on-campus arena in 1950, I would say is pretty... It's pretty high high end, uh, so unfortunately that wasn't big enough. They they moved down to Rupp, and that's more like twenty four thousand now. So, um, anyway, um, but yeah, this is so this is a fun show. It's sort of you know closing out my uh, my college career, and um, there's some really good stuff in this show. Um, the segment we're going to play is from the start of the second set, uh, and it's only a what they play seven songs in the second set it's pretty short um i mean the, the set itself is pretty long but as far as songs go you have quite a few that are that are stretched out a little bit and um a funny story about one of the uh one of the segments from the first set they do uh, a junior pusher man junior a good friend of mine uh, was not a fan of junior and uh he had come in at from out of town to go to the show and uh and i think at this point you know we were you're we tracking set list pretty good you know because the the uh the information super highway had had been established so you're getting you know set lists from the night before and you can kind of you know keep track of what's happening and they had played the night before at boone a really good show there at appalachian state um this whole tour was really good um were in Orlando at the House of Blues before that, and so we were kind of tracking, and I think we were like seeing that it had been so it had been ten shows for Junior, which seems like a pretty long stretch, right? Junior is more of like a you know four or five six show rotation, so I think we felt like there was a pretty good chance we were going to get a Junior, and uh, and I, and he said before we went to the went to the show, he's like, you know, I don't want to hear you know, GD Jr., if they're going to play it, they better put it inside of like a Pusher Man sandwich or something. And so that is, in fact, what they did. Well, they didn't put it inside a Pusher Man sandwich. They put the Pusher Man inside a Jr. sandwich. And uh, it definitely is one way to uh, to make it a little more appealing to somebody who might not be a huge Jr. fan. And uh, I think it was the, was it the only time they split Jr.? Maybe not the only time, but Certainly not a very common occurrence. Well,
1: Harvey, you know we did play that Junior Pusherman sandwich in our one of our random sandwich shows, um, and it's really good. And this show is great from start to finish. I'm glad that you you picked it as part of the part of the Lexington uh, um, shows because I was pretty convinced that you were going to pick uh, 2003 or 2006 shows. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh... that. Next year's Lexington show, um, but there's a lot to choose from here. And this was a show I have two two shows with unused tickets, and this is one of the two. Hmm. Um, the other one is uh, October first, two thousand five, from the Roy Wilkins Auditorium in St. Paul, where you know you I I'd, I'd gotten to the point where I probably didn't need to see the band anymore when I bought tickets for. The show in Madison and the show in St. Paul the next night. Saw the the show in Madison and and we were basically like, nah, we don't need to go to that one. Mm. Um, But this show, I actually got tickets for free from a kid I went to high school with who couldn't make it. But we had been in Starkville and Huntsville the weekend before and it was pretty hard to get away and drive down. And this is definitely one of the shows, again, where the set list comes across and like, oh, didn't make the right decision there. So. Mm -hmm. But this is this is a great show the post drums vacations are pretty good and the only thing I would only thing I would cool about would be the encore but I think by that point I probably wouldn't have cared because the show is good enough honestly. yeah
0: it's not ideal um but it actually isn't terrible um the walk-in is is pretty fun I mean I can recall uh, you know schools was really into it so uh, it wasn't like a total yawner you know it was um, it was good dancing. Dancing song. But, um, yeah, the, uh, second set you had, uh, a diner clocked in at, at, at 20 minutes and 34 seconds. Um, the, the Arlene is 13 minutes. The vacation is 13 minutes. Um, there's some, there's some stretching out, uh, in this, in this show. The Ain't No Use in the, in the, uh, first set is 12 minutes long. So, um, yeah there's some creativity and all four of these shows that we played uh this week the october 94 show the uh, september 95 show the october 96 show and then the april 99 show i feel like all four of those are those are like four prime tours as far as i'm concerned um the yeah, that fall 94 is really really good especially after halloween when they get out to colorado but the, uh, the part early is really good. The October 1st in Nashville is good. The show in Lexington is good. The Clemson show on October 6th is really good. And then um, the 95, the more I've gone back to that fall 95, is just so good too. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've talked about fall 96. And then this spring 99 tour is really good where they get back on college campuses. And um, there's some really good stuff there. So, um, yeah, all good eras. Uh, Peak, peak, um, you know, peak performances of the band.
1: All right, so let's get to the selection from April twenty third, nineteen ninety nine, Memorial Coliseum in Lexington, Kentucky, right at the start of the second set.
2: It's all in the strangest place.
1: Rounding out the selections from Lexington, Kentucky, April 23rd, 1999. Memorial Coliseum on the campus of the University of Kentucky. The start of the second set, Space Wrangler into Arlene into Jack.
0: Yeah, um, this is this is a really good, this whole second set, even though, like I said, only seven songs, but um, not, much, uh, not much let up there. Uh, you know, Wrangler to start, a big, huge Arlene some good call and response with JB and schools and then really nice Jack. And then there's a massive diner after that. I mean, like I said, over 20 minutes, um, wouldn't, didn't want to include it in the podcast cause it would have, it would have <laughs> made, made the whole thing run a little bit longer, but, uh, check that out if you haven't. And a great post rooms to the vacation, Greta traveling light. So, um, yeah. So thanks for, uh, taking this uh, trip down memory lane with me. Um, hope uh hope I didn't lose anybody along the way but um, pretty clear the band enjoyed playing I think obviously the Red Mile sort of had a had a special place for the band and um, and then uh, coming back and playing a couple years later uh, at UK um, they obviously had a good time there as well so I know that all of us in the audience enjoyed it as well so um, so anyway I uh, appreciate everybody indulging me. Um now that we're we you know we we talked about shows in Lawrence, Kansas a couple weeks ago and now we can talk about um shows in in Lexington and uh you know if, if you're going to talk about college basketball you should probably talk about the most storied program in college basketball and that's why we get to Lexington.
1: That's true and I have I can't say anything cuz both of my teams stink this year so and at both of my teams that I follow avidly stink, and at least they do right now. And the college team that resides in the town in which I live, the University of Memphis, barely beat Northern Kentucky last week. Um, the Norse, the Norse, and by and I'm pretty sure that they were uh, losing to UAB as 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 I record this right now. So, going to be a long season for for the Tigers. So,
0: who do they have a head coach?
1: <clears throat> they do. Uh, a guy named uh, Orlando Tubby Smith mm. is their head coach, and uh, I thought you not,
0: thought you guys would have run him off by now.
1: Uh, they're fixing pretty close. To, <laughs> he's uh doesn't seem to show much interest in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Even though even though he's got some pretty amazing players within spitting distance of campus, he doesn't seem too interested in putting in the effort. So they're they're leaving town and going elsewhere, and it's for. Uh, pretty heartbreaking i think for a lot of natives and a lot of people that have followed the program for a long time so
0: do you think and and i mean i i am a huge tubby fan i mean i think he's a he's a great guy and um but i mean the the kentucky fan base took took a pretty significant amount of heat for you know quote unquote pushing him out um do you think that that he's now maybe gonna get you know three more jobs later and not have a gig like do you at some point do you think well maybe they were right that he wasn't the best coach to to lead the team
1: tubby with tubby the last job that Tubby had before he came here at texas tech was perfect for him mm-hmm. meaning there's no pressure right and he, he can recruit his players uh-huh. air quotes his players which means two and three stars that he can mold into something better um And if you make the tournament, it's considered a success. You know, if you finish in the top half of the Big 12, it's considered a success. Memphis is Memphis. People fail to realize that Memphis and prior to that, Memphis State was an elite college basketball program Mm -hmm. for decades, you know, 70s and 80s and into the 90s a little bit with Penny. And then obviously they made the final four, which doesn't count um, thanks to Derek Rose and his. SAT score taking the ACT or whatever um, in
3: 2009
1: but um, I think people outside of the city don't really realize how important that school's team is to this whole city because it's all that the city had for a long time and now we got the Grizzlies Um, but it's it's just a shame it's like everybody sort of throws up their hands like this is are we okay with this this is not (laughs) and uh, you know I will say that there is if there's one if there's one program that would accept you know players that maybe you know the upper some, some teams might not that might not accept on into their programs University of Memphis will, will gladly accept them. <laughs> no, I mean it's the thing the stories that get told about some of the guys that Coach Cal brought in and some of these other characters it's just it's pretty amazing but. Um, the the city'll support it if the team is good and the team is not good and it 's going to be a long year so it 's too bad and again, I think some of that falls falls squarely on tubby because he 's just not willing to doesn 't seem at least that he 's willing to put in the put in the work but if you build a winner, the city will support it the city loves basketball i mean loves it loves it loves it and uh you know they'll they'll, they'll they will come out if there 's reason to come out
0: so. well uh talking about things that put it put in time uh in memphis i know i know you're not one for for self-congratulation but i want to do it for you and uh my partner here was was honored as one of the southerners of the year by southern living magazine this year and so jeff congratulations for that um i saw that and i was like is that is that the same jeff jeff (laughs) and indeed it was there's even a picture and everything so um I know that that's a pretty, I went, look, I saw somebody comment on, uh, on the podcast through Facebook, congratulating you on that. And I was like, oh, what? what? And so then I went and like Googled it and looked and I looked at the 2016 list and you weren't on there. And I was like, oh, well, huh. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a new one. And I went and looked and there you were. But I mean, that's some pretty, yeah, that's some pretty fine company. Like there's some, some pretty uh impressive people on that list so i think you should consider yourself uh, uh i'm sure you're very proud of uh, of being being a part of it
1: thank you harvey um yeah it's pretty cool i just you know we've been ch- uh we've been chuckling about it at work because i am not a southerner and, uh, <laughs> Farm.
0: H- i was like i've been in the south longer than you damn it <laughs>
1: Yeah, Adriana, who's in the picture with me, who runs our music academy, is also not a southerner. She's mm-hmm. from she's from Indiana. So um, yeah, you but guys no, have
0: embraced you have embraced southern, you know, the lifestyle, and we have. you're living a southern life. You don't have to be. You know, we're okay with carpetbaggers. It's okay <laughs> as long as you, as long as you can embrace the uh, the spirit of the South, and we're good with you.
1: Thanks. Yeah. No. We, we uh we are we're, we're pretty honored by it, and it's pretty cool to be selected. And yeah, it's pretty humbling to be on a list with all those all those other folks, and all the other people are doing some really great stuff for their communities. So, yep. but yeah, it's cool. So thanks for embarrassing me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so let <laughs> anytime, let's, buddy. So. Thanks to everybody for for listening again Apologies for my voice sounding the way that it does Fighting off a cold and I'm pretty sure that when you listen To the next episode I'll probably sound the same Um, So But anyway thank you so much For tuning in now for 37 Episodes and um, Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook um, At Lewis Tape And tell your friends about the pod And keep supporting it can not do it without you guys so thank you so much And we'll see you next week